everybody. Uh, I'm Pastor Mark. For those of you who don't know me, I run Thrive and CBI here at Compass. And Pastor PJ asked me to come in and preach this morning. And so I'm glad to be here to open up Matthew chapter 25 with you together. And uh, so as you're getting your Bibles ready, um, a lot of you already know me. And if you know me, you'll know that um, I'm not as into specialty coffee today as I once was. But there was a time when um, I was really into both the art and the science of making the perfect cup of coffee. And so I got all the accoutrements necessary in order to make um, pour-overs to perfection, uh, you know, which involves instruments including scales, grinders, um, you know, hot water boilers to maintain the temperature. And, you know, basically you control all the variables, all the factors, so that you can create the ideal extraction of the bean. Okay, and so I was going around with, you know, some measure of confidence that I'm making, like, as, as best as possible, I'm making the, the perfect cup of coffee here. The, the water to bean ratio is perfect. The temperature is perfect. I've done everything exactly right in order to create the optimal uh, flavor profile in this particular cup. And so I go around the office with some measure of confidence. Hey, can I, let me make you a cup of coffee. I've, I've got it all dialed in. Here's all my stuff. And, um, you know, I would hear responses from people like, wow, this is amazing. This is the best cup of coffee I've ever had. Wow, I don't need to add cream or sugar to this. Wow, I didn't know how coffee had so many flavors to it. And, and so on and so forth. And it, it's really nice to have, to, to make something for someone and to have them respond by saying, well done. That's really good. Thank you. That's excellent. And that was typically the response that I got until I made coffee for Pastor Lucas. Okay, you know Pastor Lucas? Okay, so I'm going around making coffee, the perfect cup for everybody, and they're responding this way, and then I make one for Pastor Lucas, and he takes a sip, and he's like, eh. <laughs> and then he goes over to his automated machine with cheap beans and pushes a button and makes a subpar cup of coffee, and then proceeds to say, this is way better, okay? And this, this was my struggle with Pastor Lucas. So I, I'm like, all right, this is a little bit of a challenge, but I think I can get him. And so I keep, I keep making coffee for Pastor Lucas, and he keeps responding with the same ho-hum, this is a mediocre cup of coffee, my machine makes it better sort of response. And eventually, I, I think I gave up be, until I, I found out that with Pastor Lucas, if it doesn't start with a dark roasted bean, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, devices you put it through. He's not going to like it. And so that was, that was a, a problem if I'm trying to please Pastor Lucas. If I want to make him a cup of coffee where he takes a sip and says, wow, that's amazing, it's got to start with a different bean. And uh, I, I realized that. And so I learned an important lesson, and I think it's a lesson that we, we know here in this room, and that is that if you want to hear from your target, well done. You have to know what your target wants and what your target likes. And so this is an important lesson because in a much more significant way, if we want to hear from the Lord, well done, we need to know what God wants and what God likes. What is it that God expects out of his servants, if we, if we want to do something for him, or if we want to live our life in such a way where he looks at us at the day of evaluation and says, well done, we need to know what he is expecting out of us between now and then. 
So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and let's learn together how we can be good and faithful stewards so that we get that response when Jesus returns. Well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. And if we just stop right there, we just all we need to do is go back to chapter 25, verse 1, to see what it is. In chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus begins a series of parables about the kingdom of heaven. So he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. And then in verse 14, our passage, he says, it, the kingdom of heaven, a parable about the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So we have a different parable here, and it's one that's about investing money. Verse 15, or the the guys in the parable are investing money. Let's continue. To one he gave five talents... To another, two, and to another, one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And so here we see that the talent... It's still kind of an ambiguous um, quantity at this point, but we do know it's a quantity of money because at the end of verse 18, we just read, the guy who took the one talent and dug it in the ground, it says he hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. Then he also who who had received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. He said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. Verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we understand that this parable, Jesus teaches about the future kingdom. And it's not hard to piece together who the characters represent in the story and apply it to us today. It's 
clear when we read this that the master refers to or depicts Jesus and we insert ourselves into the story as the servants. Jesus is the master who entrusts us with various things. It's probably not a a, a lump sum of money um, that just appears in our bank accounts, but he does entrust us with various things that we are responsible then to take and to invest, to utilize, to grow, so that when he returns, we have done something with what he gave us. As opposed to burying it in the ground and just preserving what he's given us. And there's an important distinction for us to observe here. But this story illustrates and it shows for us what God expects out of his servants. God wants his servants to take what they receive from him and multiply it. And not just sit on it. So this is about... What does good and faithful stewardship involve? That's a question that we're going to answer this morning from the text. And so we've talked about talent. We we read the word talents a couple times in our passage. We know it's an amount of money, but we don't know exactly how much it was. Um, Scholars, you know, suggest that it was maybe uh, 20 years wages. It was a lump sum. One talent was 20 years wages. So I did a little bit of math for you. I'm not a mathematician or a financial advisor, but let's, let's do this together here. If a talent is 20 years wages, and if we just take $100,000 as a nice round number for one year's wages in Orange County in 2021, we can then do the math and see by contemporary standards, one talent was $2 million dollars. And the the guy who received two talents would have been receiving the equivalent, the first century equivalent of $4 million. And the guy who received five talents was receiving a large sum of money, approximating uh, uh, $10 million. Um, And he's now responsible to take this um, lump sum of money and go and trade with it and invest with it and grow that money. So... He was a money man, the servant was a money manager tasked to go and to grow his master's investment. So the master chooses three people and he says, here, you take one, you take two, you take five, I'll be back. And the assumption is grow what you've been given. And so the servants in our parable, they, they know what they've been entrusted with. It's, it's in a big bag in their hand or however he gave them the money. They're, they're holding this, you know, briefcase with a um, handcuff on it, right? Okay, take this money and do something with it. So they've got the, uh, the thing that they're entrusted with in their hand. Now, if you want to be a good and faithful steward, I think the first step is for you to recognize what is it that God has given to you, that you are holding in your hand, that he wants you to go and to multiply. So before we even talk about being faithful with what we've been given, I think we first need to identify and appreciate what we've been given. Okay, so point number one is identify what God has entrusted to you. For the guys in our parable, it was easy. They knew. But for us, I think... We're a few steps behind the guys in the parable. Because 
I think one problem that we have, that we share here in this room, is that we think we own our stuff. Isn't that true? You think you own your stuff. You, you think you own your money. You think you own your house if you've paid it off from the bank. You think you own your car. You think you own your time. You think you own your relationships. All of these things are hard-earned. Your money, the money that's in your bank account, you, you have put blood, sweat, and tears into accruing that, into saving that. And so it's, you feel like it's your money. Your job, you've worked hard to secure your job, to maintain your job, to grow your job. That's yours. You got that. Your purchases, your home, your car, all of your stuff, this is yours. You own it. That's the assumption, the underlying assumption that I think we share here in this room. It's, but when we look at passages across Scripture, we come to see Bible 101 suggests to us that you don't actually own any of that stuff. God owns 100% of what you think you own. And everything that you have has been given to you by God. And I think it's easy to forget this because we live in a country uh, that is proud of securing your freedom and enabling you to pursue life, liberty, and happiness and to secure for yourself Money, possessions, and the good life. We prize capitalism and your ability to make money and to grow investments. And so when we do those things, we think, this is my stuff. But we forget too easily that God owns the United States of America and everything in it. And all the Swiss banks and, well, the whole planet and the whole universe. He owns it all. So anything that we accrue, anything that we earn, anything that we save is actually God's to begin with. We just happen to have it in our bank account or in our garage or whatever it may be. Psalm 50 pretty clearly communicates this principle that God owns everything. Uh, you can jot that down. We're not going to turn there now, but God calls Israel before him and he says, hey, it's, I'm going to judge you here today, and it's not because you're failing to offer sacrifices. You are doing the thing that I commanded you to do. The reason I'm calling you to the platform is you're offering these sacrifices in a way that seems to communicate that you think you own this stuff. You're not actually giving to me anything that I didn't have in the first place. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, he says. So what you need to do when you bring your offering is bring it with thankfulness. God, you gave me this. I'm going to give you back some with gratitude as opposed to, look, I earned this. I'm going to give you a little piece of it. There's a very different posture from the first to the second. And God wants us to have the posture that says, God, you've given me everything that I have. I'm going to give you off the top back to you. That's Psalm 50, verses 8 through 15. And then, a familiar passage in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, says, hey, if you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. Your, your body is not your own. So glorify God with your body. So if you are a Christian, you've been purchased by the Lord. So certainly your stuff is God's, and actually you are God's. So you are a, a servant of the Lord. 
So we need to come to grips with the reality that we are managers of God's stuff, not owners of our stuff. There's a big and important distinction there. You're a manager of God's stuff. He's entrusted things to you. You're not an owner of your own stuff. Even that stuff, especially that stuff that you worked hard to secure. When I was a kid, one of my first sources of income outside of the home, you know, chores and allowance and stuff like that was pet sitting for my neighbor a couple doors down. And they would leave like for the whole summer. And so I would go over there and get the rundown. You know, what am I supposed to feed the cats? There are multiple cats and multiple birds. I, th I think those are the only animals. Maybe there was more. It was like an animal house. And so it's like, okay, um, feed the cat this much every day, feed the bird this much, do this, clean the cage, whatever. All right, I get the rundown, and then this family leaves for the summer, and here I am, you know, 10 years old, 8 years old, and I, I am entrusted to preserve the lives of these animals and sustain them and keep them alive to the end of the summer until the, the owners get back. And so in that scenario, I had a pretty clear picture. Okay, these are your animals. You're going to leave. You're going to come back. In the meantime, I'm going to just take care of them. So that was the agreement. And it would have been foolish for me to think, when they leave, I own these birds. I own these, these cats. This is now my stuff for me to do what I want with. No, I... I needed to, to be a good pet sitter, I needed to recognize um, this stuff is the owner's. I need to take good care of it while they're gone, and they're coming back, and they're going to do an evaluation when they get back. And that's maybe the sort of attitude that we ought to have when it comes to every single thing that we have in our lives. This is God's stuff, and he's letting me use it. He's giving it to me to do something with here on earth. And he's coming back to give an evaluation. And so I think it would be helpful for us to take inventory of what God has entrusted to us. This is just an um, incomplete list. But here are a few big categories of things that God has entrusted to you and to me. Every single one of us in the room has the same quantity of time every day. The other things might fluctuate from person to person. But every single one of us has been given time today. You've been given time this morning. Unless the Lord returns today, you're going to be given 24 hours today. And I think there's a stewardship here. God is allowing you to live. He's giving you breath. He's giving you life during the day today. So what are you going to do with that? You're a steward of time. Spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, God has gifted you uniquely to serve the church, to contribute in the church in some way, shape, or form. So what are you doing with what God has gifted you with? Your, your abilities, your talents, your unique contributions to the church. You've been entrusted with something there. You're a steward of that ability, that giftedness. You all have various jobs and responsibilities. And I think there's a measure of stewardship there as well. God has given you this job. He's put you in that place for a reason. You have a stewardship there to represent Christ, to be an ambassador, to, to live and work and um, pursue your responsibilities in a way that a good and faithful servant would pursue them. You've been, you know, have, have you been entrusted with a wife? Have you been entrusted with children? These are things you are entrusted with. Those are, that's God's person 
he happens to allow you to live with and to love and to sacrifice for and to lead. You have a stewardship with your family. Your money is God's. He owns it all, and he lets you have some. And there's a stewardship there. Your possessions, everything in your garage, everything in your home is God's. He owns it all. So we ought to view these things as God's and things that we are temporarily responsible for. Okay, so that's point number one. Before we even get into how do I be faithful, I think we have to take a step back and say, what am I supposed to be faithful with? And as you can see here, I'm not limiting the, the talents to any one particular category, saying this in the parable, these talents, they refer to this one thing in the Christian life. I, just, I think the principle here in this passage is take what you're given and grow it and multiply it. And I'm saying, Christian men, we've been given everything that we have, and we're responsible with all of it to be good stewards, okay? So once we've come to grips with the reality that we're stewards, not owners, we're ready to advance then to the next principle in the passage, and that is that we need to be faithful with what we're entrusted with. Okay, so point number two, because we're going to see here what faithfulness actually looks like. Point number two is to grow what you are given. Grow what you're given. Because faithfulness, according to our passage, is not merely remaining busy, which is perhaps how we might define faithfulness. Well, I need to be faithful. I just need to plug on day in and day out. I need to, you know, keep grinding. That's faithfulness. Well, maybe. Depends on what you're doing during that grind. Depends on how you are being busy. Just being busy doesn't constitute faithfulness. Faithfulness, according to the passage that we have here, is actually doing what the master wants you to do. That's faithfulness. And in our parable, faithfulness isn't just, you know, hold on to the money. It's the, the master pretty clearly wants a return on his investment. Take the money that I've given you and grow it. And those who grow the money that they were given, they are the faithful stewards. And the person who doesn't grow what he was given is a wicked and slothful servant. The point is, it's not enough for you to maintain the master's possessions. It's expected that you increase the master's possessions. We have to get that from this parable. We don't know how long the master was gone. It says early on, um, what, in verse um, 19, you see that there? It says, after a long time, the master came back and settled accounts with them. We don't know how long it was, but we know it was a long time. And we know it was long enough for two of the guys to double a large sum of money through various investment strategies. And so maybe we, we say that these guys were able to create, a, you know, a 10% return on this lump sum of money, and the master was gone for seven years. And during that time, they incrementally grew uh, their, their lump sum, and it doubled by the end of that period of time. Maybe it was longer than that, but it, the passage doesn't really leave room for us to say, 
they just like went gambling and they got lucky one day and hit it big, doubled their money, you know, at the last minute. The, the principle here is they, they were plugging along, investing the money, growing the money, and when the master got back, he was pleased with it. And then the one wicked servant had just preserved and protected that which he was given. So the expectation in our passage is it's not enough to maintain the master's possessions. You have to increase. So we have a responsibility to be productive with the things that God has given us. And that productivity constitutes faithfulness, which is really the golden rule of a steward. At least in our passage here, faithfulness is what the master wants out of his servants. And it's important for us to define faithfulness the way the master in the parable does. It's doing what the master wants done. Do you see that? Faithfulness is not doing whatever you think is good and being busy about it, plugging away, grinding at it. Faithfulness is doing what the master wants to be done, plugging away at it, grinding at it. There's a big difference there. So the businessman in our story, he wants a, a monetary return. What does God want out of his servants when we insert ourselves into this story? What, what kind of return does God expect? Well, it's not monetary. We already established that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the universe, everything in it. So God doesn't need us to make him money before Jesus returns. What does God expect out of his servants while he's gone. Well, we need to read a couple chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew to see, uh, clear as day, what God expects out of his church, out of people. And that is to go and to make disciples. So in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus calls the disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is the business that I want you to be about while I'm gone. And so God has this global plan to restore creation, to restore humanity after the fall. So Jesus provided a way to be right with God for sin to be forgiven. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He secured um, a way for you and me to be forgiven so that we can go and spread that message and see more and more people added to the church, to see more and more disciples being made. And I think this is the, the big picture results that God wants to see happen. Maybe in a word, we could just say disciples. What does God want? What are his interests? What has he commissioned you to do? Well, disciples make disciples so faithful stewards will be engaged in the thing that the master wants to be done while he's gone and when we read our whole bibles we come to see well god wants us to make disciples while he's gone now i think there's a thousand ways to go about that there's a lot that's a big target i envisioned um i didn't create a visual but I was thinking about it um, last night. That, that is a big, it's a clear target. It's a well-defined target. Go and make disciples. This is what I want. But there's a, you can hit that at a lot of different points on the target. 
um, because included in this commission to make disciples is reaching people for Christ, teaching people uh, about Christ, and training them to serve Christ. And then within each of those circles is a hundred different points, a hundred different ways you can go about that work. And in each category of your life, there are different opportunities for you to hit that target of making disciples. In fact, it would be helpful if we put this back up on the screen and said, and asked the question a little bit different way. The first question was, what am I responsible for? What has God entrusted to me? It was all this stuff. Now we can turn that and say, God's entrusted to me all this stuff. How can I be faithful in each of these areas of my life? And again, let's define faithfulness according to our passage as doing the things that the master wants me to do. So when it comes to my time, faithfulness isn't, well, I just need to plug along. I just need to keep going day in, day out. That's not necessarily being a good and faithful steward. Being a good and faithful steward is taking your time and asking the question, what does God want me to do with my time? And we've said at, at the highest level, well, he wants me to be, spend my time making disciples. Now, this doesn't mean that every single one of us needs to quit our nine to fives and just read our Bibles every day or everyone works at the church every day or whatever. I think we, we misunderstand our responsibility. Our responsibility is to take the, the time that we have and the context in which we have it and bring this um, goal into it. Same thing, your, your job. I mean, you, you need to go to your job when this is over and don't quit your job. Go into your job and bring a perspective of God's put me here. What does he want me to do here? I know he wants me to make disciples. Is there someone I could invite to church? Is there a way that I could uh, demonstrate a work ethic that is um, characteristically a Christian work ethic? Uh, is there someone that I could bring alongside and show what it looks like to be a Christian businessman or, or worker in my context? I mean, there, there's a hundred different ways to hit that target of making disciples in your job or in your various responsibilities. I think the question is, what, what does that look like for you? Uh, your spiritual gifts. God has given you giftedness and he's given you abilities. Um, you, you are responsible to use those to hit the target of making disciples a lot of opportunities here at the church but let's use what we have to this goal of being being faithful doing what god wants us to do your family what does it look like for you to be faithful with the responsibility of your family well god wants you to be about making disciples it's important for you to bring your family to church it's important for you to uh, spearhead that effort. Let, let's go to church. Let's, let's, let's be there. Let's uh, have a good perspective about being there. As, as a husband and a father, I want to shape my family's perspective on church. It's not a chore that we fit into the weekend. It's something that we get to go and do. It's a, it's a family that we get to be a part of and we see together. It's a big group on Sundays. This is a joy, this is an opportunity, this is a great thing. I want my kids to be discipled. I want my wife to grow. I think there's a lot of ways for us to hit the target of make disciples in our family. Your money, same thing. Uh, you know, the 101 fundamental is to take the first 10% of what you're given off the top and give it back to the Lord. 
So all of the money that's in your bank account or the income that you are seeing on a monthly basis is God's money. And the Bible has said you should take the first 10% of that and give it back to God. Not as the Israelites were doing in Psalm 50 and saying, here, let me give you, let me give you a little bit of money. It's, God, you, this is all yours. Here's the first 10%. Thank you for this income. Your possessions, everything you own, uh, I, we could add more stuff to this list. This is not exhaustive. But I just want to pose the question, how can you be faithful in each of these categories? And um, I think it'd be good to look at the list here and to identify maybe one or two things you could do in each category to increase your faithfulness in that category. That'd be a really good exercise for us to go through. How can I be more faithful with my time? How can I be more faithful with my spiritual gifts? How can I be more faithful with my job, responsibilities, family, money, possessions, so on and so forth? Now, there's an important observation here for us to make in the text. Um, Look at the expectations of the master. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. This is the guy who um, buried the one talent. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have scattered no seed. If you knew that, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. This is really interesting that God doesn't, or in the parable, the, the master doesn't say, I expected you to double the money. That's what the first two servants did. And and he was like, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. But (laughs) what he was expecting was lower uh, or the, the minimum requirement to please him was lower than that lofty achievement. At minimum, he would have been satisfied if the guy with one talent had taken it to the bank Instead of burying it into the ground and preserving it, take it to the bank where you'll get a minimal return on it. That would have appeased or pleased the master. Would have satisfied him. So it's, it's a reasonable expectation for there to be modest growth with what you're given. But I imagine that most of you or enter into the joy of my rest. Because it, the passage does kind of tell us, well, what's the bare minimum? Well, take it to the bank, get a minimal return. At least do something with what you're given. Don't do nothing with what you're given. I'd rather ask the question on the other end and say, how can I be the ambitious steward who doubles the money? How can I be a faithful servant of the Lord who takes what I'm given and does something great with it, something significant with it for his kingdom. Let's be the ambitious steward. Let's come up with ways here today that we can not only resolve to start viewing our stuff as God's stuff, but also be ambitious to produce in exponential ways for the Lord. And in order to do that, we we cannot have the safety first approach, the overly conservative approach. 
we have to risk a little bit because that's the way growth works. The, the guy who buries the talent is condemned. What he does is he protects and preserves what he's given. God, you've given me this stuff. Okay, I'm going to make sure nothing bad happens to it. God wants you to take what you've been given and grow it, which is going to mean stepping out and doing something with it, which is probably going to involve setbacks and challenges and obstacles to overcome. Part of the way we grow is by failing and, and learning from those mistakes so that we come out the other side uh, stronger and having learned a lesson that we wouldn't have otherwise learned. One commentator says, risk is at the heart of discipleship. And I like that statement. Risk is at the heart of discipleship. There, you know, you have a passage like Matthew 16, 25 that says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so I think there's a perspective here that we ought to uh, uh, take. And that is, rather than going through life trying to not do anything wrong, Let's go through the Christian life trying to do something great for the Lord. There's a different perspective. One is the preserve what you've been given mentality. Don't mess it up. And the other is the ambitious steward mentality that says, I'm going to take what I'm given and I'm going to grow it. And it's important for us to recognize that we're a steward and we're to grow what we're given because the rest of the passage goes on to communicate that there will be a, a day of reckoning. And so point number three is expect to be rewarded by God. I phrased it that way because a good and faithful servant ought to have this as his expectation. It's the Lord that I'm working for. Yes, I'm going to get a paycheck. Yes, I've got um, these responsibilities and these jobs, but um, what I'm really after is the reward from God. Um, so, you know, you might not, you might not get uh, big money, you might not get major accomplishments and accolades in this life, but if you're a faithful steward, you're about the, the stuff that God wants you to be about, you're going to be rewarded by God in heaven. There's an eschatological kind of future um, element to this passage. It says... When the, the master returns at a future date, there will be a day of judgment, and at that time, rewards will be issued. And so the master in our parable, he says, um, enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master versus to the slothful servant, cast him into outer darkness. You see how this parable, at the end, it communicates in the future, there will be a day when you go to one of two places. And what's really striking is, you know, be, expect to be rewarded by God in heaven with a much more sizable lump sum than what is communicated in our passage. Um, notice that the guy who receives five talents, look at it here, um, Verse 20, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five. Here, I made five talents more. Look what the master says, the day of evaluation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. 
I could just go back here and say, that, that was the guy who had uh, $10 million to invest by first century standards. Well done. You were faithful with a little. Now I'm going to entrust you with much. So on this future day of reward, what's at stake for you is much higher than big numbers here on earth. It's worth it for you to be a good and faithful steward to please the Lord and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And notice the difference, good and faithful versus wicked and slothful. The decisions you make day in and day out, they have real eternal meaning. One thing that really gripped me about this passage is what's communicated to the wicked and slothful servant. He's called wicked and slothful here. And then at the end of the verse, an even more stinging term is given to him. Um, Verse 30, look at it. The master says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The bad steward isn't called a, a, a bad steward. He's called a worthless servant. That just burns. That is a, a dreadful thought to stand before God and to have him say, you were worthless to me. I gave you, I entrusted you with everything that you had in your life. And what did you do with it? What did you produce with it? How did you contribute and grow what you were given to to contribute to my cause? Making disciples. The, The wicked and slothful servant is called a worthless servant and that's a dreadful thought i told you about my um my pet sitting job well what i left out of the story is that it turns out i'm not very good at pet sitting because it's really simple you know when you're watching people's pets um there's really one thing that you need to do and that's keep the animals alive that was the one thing that i failed to do um with my pet sitting job yeah at least with one poor bird. Uh, I, I don't know how it happened, but on my watch during that summer, the bird died. And I couldn't tell you what I did wrong, and that's probably part of the problem. Okay, I'd, I'd never really taken care of birds. I did what they said to do, I thought, but the bird died. So when they got back, um, turns out I was, I was a bad pet sitter. And so the stakes were a little bit lower, you know, it's like, okay, don't come back next summer. You know, you don't get to earn 50 bucks next summer. Here, take your money, but, you know, nice try. Try it again. Well, when it comes to the, the stakes of everything you've been given in your entire life with all the years that you've been given, well, the stakes are high. What are you doing with what God has given you? How are you producing for him, for the things that he wants? There's an important passage at the end of our parable, 
This is really the, the punchline. Matthew 25. In verse 29, the punchline is, you know, after the whole story, well, to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Some of you know my wife, Bethany. Um, you may not know that turns out she is really good at um, you know, buying and selling things on the Facebook marketplace. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever used this before, but Facebook now, I, I guess the last few years, has had an opportunity or a, a, a context in which you can list things and sell things and buy things. And so, you know, a few years ago, she approached me for the first time somewhat, you know, timidly, like, hey, um, there's this toy for the kids. It's 20 bucks. It's on Facebook Marketplace. It looks, it's like new. Can I buy it? It's right there in Ladera Ranch. Okay, yeah, go ahead and buy it. Well, actually, for ask this question, you know, um, and so she bought the thing and let the kids play with it and then, you know, sold it again after they played with it for a couple months because that's kids, like, they play with stuff and then they get over it. So it's perfect. You know, it's like buy stuff, play with it. All right, you're over it now. Okay, sell it. So that's what she started doing. And she'd approach me, hey, here's this other thing. It's 30 bucks. Can I buy it? Like, well, well, ask them this question. Ask them that question. Okay, yeah, go ahead and buy it. Well, Bethany... She keeps doing this, and fast forward to Monday of this week, she bought this water slide, this inflatable water slide for her backyard. It's been hot. So 150 bucks, big-time Facebook Marketplace purchase. 150 bucks, and she bought that two months ago. The kids slid on it, you know. We inflated it. They've slid on it in the backyard. She sold it on Monday for 300 bucks. This is what Bethany has learn to do on the Facebook marketplace. It's not just buy toys for the kids for cheap, let them play with it, and then sell it. She's hitting that target. But she's also buying stuff for cheap, letting the kids play with it, and then sell it. And then making money, a, a little bit of money on it, where you got to play with the water slide, not only for free, we actually made money for you to slide down that water slide. So now, when Bethany approaches me and says, hey, there's this thing on Facebook marketplace, do you think I could... I don't even need to hear the rest of the story. Go ahead and purchase the thing. If you, if you want to buy it on Facebook Marketplace, you got the green light. $150 purchase, go ahead, do it. And she demonstrated with like little purchases at the beginning and then bigger and bigger that she was able to be wise and shrewd and, um, and manage this part of parenting well. And so now she's got like an open ticket. And I think there's this principle here that God has with us, and he says, be faithful with the things that I give you. Faithfulness is doing the things that I want you to do, and then I'm going to give you more and more and more. And that's when you hear at the end of that, a lifetime of doing that, well done, good and faithful servant. So on the back of your worksheet, I think there should be a question that I just want to conclude with. It says this, if Jesus returned today, which of the three servants would you say describes you and why? Our passage, the master leaves. We don't know when he's coming back. There's kind of this um, mystery, mysterious timing to when he's going to return. But we know he's coming back, and when he comes back, there'll be an evaluation. And so I think it's good for us to ask the question, if that were today, which servant would most accurately describe me? And I think we've got to take that challenge and resolve to be 
good and faithful stewards. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this text. It's challenging to us, and we're thankful for that. I pray that you would stretch us, you would grow us, you would help us to be godly men who do the things that you want us to do with your stuff. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.